Of course, the definition may vary generationally and geographically, but for the most part, many believe that a Christian is one who believes in God, generally speaking. And the questions we have to ask ourselves are these. Can one be a Christian without receiving the gospel? Can one be a Christian without adhering to the word of God, that is, the scriptures? You see, a Christian is one who is trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. A Christian is one who believes that Jesus is God and is the only way to heaven. A Christian is one who has repented of his or her sin and has asked Christ to save them by grace through faith alone. A Christian is one who believes that Jesus, the God-man, was born of a virgin, was God's wrath-absorbing sacrifice for the sins of man, that he was perfect in every way without sin, who rose from the dead, defeating sin and death, proving that he is the divine son of God. I believe that a true Christian can be characterized by two things. One, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And two, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Both are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. The term neighbor is our fellow human being. Not someone who lives next door to us geographically or down the street from us. This term means everyone who has been created in the image of God. And there are two types of human beings. Non-Christians, those who are currently at enmity with God, those who have not yet repented and trusted their lives to the risen Christ and are still living in darkness. These are our neighbors who are spiritually dead transgressors of the law of God and under the rule of Satan. And Christians, those who have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, those who have had their sins forgiven by God the Father because of the bloody sacrifice of Christ the Son on the cross. And Christians are called by God to love both these groups of people. And today we're going to talk about Christians loving fellow Christians. So turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, please, to the epistle of 1 John. The epistle of 1 John, the title of my message this morning is Loving Your Fellow Christian. John the Apostle is the author of this epistle, and though he does not mention his name in the letter, the early church from the first century consistently identified the author as being John the Apostle. And the purpose of his letter was to warn against false teaching that Christ had actually not come in the flesh. And as you read the letter that John wrote through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you'll see that John appears to be stating plainly throughout the book that there are tests which reveal whether one is a true Christian or not. And some of these tests are doctrinal, and some of these tests are behavioral. 
And we're going to look at one of the behavioral tests today. And that test is love. More specifically, Christians are commanded to love other Christians. So turn with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11. John the Apostle writes, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The first point in this message is light shines in God's law. The light shines in God's law. Verses 7 and 8. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So John the Apostle is gently reminding the saints that what he is writing to them is nothing new to their ears. He's stating that that what they're hearing or what they're reading, present tense, they had heard from the beginning of their Christian lives. He writes elsewhere in the letter in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. So from the time of the reader's conversion to Christ, they were learning about God's love for them and his command for them to love one another. So when John says, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've heard from the beginning, the word beginning is synonymous with their conversions to Christianity. So from the moment they were converted, they were being discipled. They were being taught that God loves them and he loves his church. And they were being taught that Christians were to love God and to love his church. Being a Christian is the best thing that can happen to someone. But becoming a Christian and not being taught basic Christian doctrine from the beginning of one's walk will bring about spiritual anemia and prolonged Christian maturity. You'll be immature for a very long time. And if you're a new Christian, you must get yourselves in the scriptures. You must feed on the word of God. You must get yourself around, if possible, mature Christian people who can help you grow in your walk with Jesus, who will point you to Jesus who will instruct you, who will challenge you, who will correct you, who will encourage you. You must get yourself plugged in to a local church 
and sit under sound teaching. And if you don't have a mature Christian in your life, pray that God will lead you to someone and then ask them to come alongside you to teach you the word of God. John goes on to say, the old commandment is the word that you have heard. The recipients of John's letter had been discipled through the Old Testament text. They had been taught through the Old Testament about the concept of loving one another. And they probably read Psalm 133 verses 1 and 2, how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down to the collar of his robe. They learned by hearing Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 that it is not godly to take revenge or hold grudges on anyone. Instead, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. One of the kindest acts mature Christians can do with new Christians is to take them under their wings and teach them the scriptures, to invest in them, to have them in our homes, to spend time with them. And I, I am so thankful for those in our local church, Christ community, who do that. Not only are they evangelizing, but they're discipling. It's biblical love in action. They're teaching the new believer the way of Christianity. And in verse 8, John continues and he says, At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. See, this new commandment isn't found in words, but in the fresh illustration of love. Even though the Old Testament taught that it was the duty of God's people to love, never before had that love been so plainly manifested as it was through the Lord Jesus Christ. John 15, 13 states, Greater love have no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. John 13, 1 says, And it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knows that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And Jesus, while walking on this earth, expressed his love for people in many ways. He healed them. He showed gentleness. He was compassionate. He wept for those he loved. He's a caring Savior. Just last week, our son Stephen who just turned 14, was showing symptoms of having COVID-19. And Kim took him to the pediatrician who had us take him to the closest testing site. And we were told by the physician that Stephen was to be quarantined in our house away from the rest of us. And the physician also told us that we had to be quarantined as well and could not leave the house for any non-medical reasons at all. And so we put Stephen in his sister Evangeline's room and try to do a 
deep sanitizing of everything in the house. And we have four kids who love Legos and love all, all these things and have toys everywhere. It, it was quite a challenge. But we had to wait for those results. And it was a long wait, six very slow days until we got the call saying that he tested negative. And poor Stephen was stuck in a very small room, basically having to sit on a bed all day long because there's not much room in Evangeline's room to walk around. But you know what happened during those six days to our family? Christians cared for us. Christians prayed for us. Christians offered to help us with any needs that we may have had. Christians brought us groceries. They stayed at a distance, dropped them off for us, and we were able to get them. But they expressed Christian love by acting. And and there are, are many ways we can express our love for one another as Christians during this particular pandemic that we're involved in or in the midst of. There are ways that we can encourage one another and help each other as Christians. We can send encouraging texts to one another. We can post encouraging scriptures or quotes on Facebook. We can Zoom call our friends in Christ. We can Facebook message message each other. We can FaceTime one another. We could even do something that's quite old-fashioned but is very meaningful. We can even write letters to people. You know how much that means to people getting a letter in the mail from your own handwriting? Those are things that we can do to express our love and our care for one another in Christ. Christians caring for fellow Christians, shining for Jesus in the midst of a national pandemic, loving like Jesus. He's our example. He showed gentleness and compassion. He provided food for the hungry. But most importantly, his love was expressed to his friends by dying. He willingly laid his life down so that we in our poor estate may become rich in God. And if you're not a Christian today and you're watching, if you've never renounced the sinful ways in which you walk, please hear me today. God shows his love for you and me in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He laid his life down for undeserving people. Not one person on the face of this earth, past, present, or future, deserves heaven. Not one person on this earth deserves to be a friend of God. Not one person can earn that privilege. But Jesus made this possible by bearing our sins in his body, all our sin, exchanged for his grace. How glorious! How wonderful! Unbeliever. You can be healed today spiritually. 
You can be made alive in Christ today. If you put all of your trust in him, if you repent of your sins, if you humble yourself before God and ask him to forgive you, he will show you mercy. He will forgive you. It's in his nature to forgive. He delights in forgiving sinners. So the newness that John is speaking of here is not in the command to love because love is not new. It's as old as God and it is rooted in the law. This newness is the perfect manifestation of love in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the embodiment of love, love expressed to a world in need of a savior. John goes on to say, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The true light is Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The true light began shining when Jesus inaugurated his kingdom, when he came to the earth through Mary the virgin. When that happened, Satan's kingdom of darkness started to crumble. First John 3, 8 says the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. On that wonderful cross, Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities of darkness and made a public spectacle of them. Perfect love as revealed in the life, death and resurrection of Christ was dealt a death blow to the darkness. Darkness could not withstand it. The light of Christ dealt that death blow. And darkness is fleeing. It is on the run. But guess what? It can now outrun the light. As a matter of fact, the king of light and love is already shining. And he's already reigning. He sits on the throne, reigning and ruling in all sovereignty. And is in control of all things. How do we love one another or how we love one another gives evidence to all of this. Point number two, light shines in Christian love. Let's look at verses nine and 10. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. What John does here is apply the test of supernatural love to those who claim to be Christians. Loving a fellow brother and sister in Christ is an indicator of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. A genuine Christian, a real Christian, not one in name only, 
desires to obey God, desires to submit to his word, desires to love his brother or sister in Christ. And in the context of the letter, John is referring to his Gnostic opponents who were once a part of the local church, but left and claimed to be enlightened, but were actually living in darkness. Verse 9 essentially says, If you say you are in the light, experiencing the life of God, yet you continually and habitually hate that brother or sister, only one conclusion can be drawn here. You are still in darkness, the realm of spiritual death and moral corruption, filled with evil and wickedness, and you still belong to your father, the devil. Verse 10 continues with this. He says, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Here we see an incredible contrast. Love is a predominant mark of a genuine believer. Love is the benchmark of one's relationship with the triune God. Love is the Christian's moral duty toward others, those who are not of the faith and those who are of the faith. Love is a mark of genuine salvation. And those who love and obey God's word and express grace-based love to fellow believers are truly transformed. Now, now remember this, or know this, loving your neighbor is not a prerequisite for salvation. Love is a fruit of salvation. I will not go to heaven because I'm nice to someone. I will not go to heaven because I love someone. In Christ, there is a constant love for one another. That constant love we have for one another is evidence the Holy Spirit abides in us. And the only way I get to heaven is because of Christ's work on the cross. I cannot earn his favor. I can't work myself into heaven. No matter how many good works I do before I'm a Christian, there's filthy rags to God. I must repent and turn to him. And what's interesting here is because a person is truly transformed, what is he not to do? What is John writing here that a Christian is not to do? A Christian is not to cause another Christian to stumble. The word stumble here refers to sinning. John uses this term to explain that the person who truly loves Jesus and the brothers and sisters in Christ will not cause them to sin. Paul says in Romans 13.10, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Lying. Murder. Coveting, teaching false doctrine, stealing, selfish ambition, pride, the list goes on and on. All these things are sin and can cause a Christian to stumble. And a genuine Christian will, by the grace of God, desire to avoid such things because he loves God and loves his Christian neighbor and does not want to see his Christian neighbor stumble. He strives to do what is upright. And not offend his Christian neighbor by doing wrong. 
And if he does do wrong, because obviously we can't obey with a perfect obedience, if he does do wrong, he is quick to confess his sins to God and to whomever it is he is offended so that healing for himself and healing of his relationship with his Christian neighbor may ensue. And not only will healing take place, but the world will see that there is a huge difference between a worldly love and a supernatural love given to the believer. Because a worldly love takes from others. A godly love gives of oneself. A worldly love is very self-gratifying. A godly love is giving and selfless. But forgiveness is is a very powerful thing. When we forgive a Christian neighbor who sins against us, it is a testimony of God's forgiveness of us. You see, the world isn't about forgiving others. The world is about vengeance. The world is about revenge when wronged. But not so with Christianity. Not only are we called to love, we are called to forgive those in the church who have wronged us. A Christian should desire not to cause another Christian to stumble. Christians should strive to forgive Christians when one does stumble. Can you imagine the world seeing this powerful act and saying, how can that be? We have the answer. His name is Jesus. And John continues and says, But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John returns his thoughts on those who are continually walking and living in darkness here. They are walking about on the path of darkness, not seeing where they're going because the darkness has blinded their eyes. They are void of true spiritual Life. They say they are Christians, but hate genuine Christians and the Jesus of the Bible. And this hatred sometimes disguises itself as tolerant love. In today's context, we can see this in the progressive Christian movement, which would say things like, you know, the Bible doesn't really resonate with me, or The idea of a literal hell is offensive to non-Christians and it needs to be reinterpreted. Or, it's not our job to talk to anyone about sin. It's our job just to love them. We don't really need to preach the gospel. We just need to show love by bringing justice to the oppressed and provision to the needy. The signs are very subtle and sometimes mixed with a lot of truth. But isn't that how the devil works? Lies mixed with truth. And there are those out there who believe this. They're in darkness, spiritually dead. They think they're enlightened, but they walk in darkness as the enemy has blinded their eyes. And they do not know where they're going. There's an absence of biblical love and an absence of God in their lives. 
And tragically, they do not see this. A Christian is someone who is a follower of Christ. A Christian knows God as the one who has been from the beginning. He knows him as the one who is the word of life and the eternal life. A Christian knows Jesus as the son of the father in whom there is no darkness at all, is the cleanser and forgiver of sins and is the advocate and atonement. A Christian trusts Jesus. A Christian is someone who desires to obey the scriptures. He is one who loves his Christian neighbor the way scripture commands him to love. Not desiring to stumble him, but is willing to make sacrifices for him. Even laying down his own life for his brother or sister in Christ. All to the glory of God the Father. Do you love your fellow Christians? In what ways are you expressing that supernatural love to them? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the God of love and that, God, you have given us the power as Christians to love fellow Christians, even those who do us wrong. And Lord, we pray that we would continue to follow the example of your son, Jesus, who loved us so much that he would lay his life down for his church. May we walk sacrificially like that and love sacrificially like that toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. As John was uh, preaching that wonderful message from the book of First John, there were a couple things that he said that really stood out to me. I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted to impress on all of our hearts. He talked about that one of the tests of being a true Christian is whether or not we love our brothers and sisters in Christ and show ourselves to be true followers of Christ in that way. And one of the things John mentioned was that Christians shouldn't hold grudges. And so I was just moved to inquire into all of our souls, for all of us to inquire into our own souls, to ask ourselves, is there anybody that we hold a grudge to in our lives? Is there anybody that we hold a grudge against in the church or brothers and sisters in Christ? Um, and to repent of that together and really glorify God by having a, a broken heart and a contrite spirit before him together as a church family and then and also just asking the Lord to give us power from the Holy Spirit to, to really overflow with joyful Christian love toward our brothers and sisters in Christ and the church. True love for the church should overflow 
in abundance out from our lives, enthusiastically and with great zeal. And so let's pray for both of those things as we close our service. Let's let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for just your forgiveness and your mercy and your grace. And Lord, we repent of grudges that we've held in the past or any grudges that we can nurture and nurse now toward people in our lives, unbelievers, but also especially Christians, Lord. I pray that you would forgive us and that you would give us grace even right now to repent over grudges toward family members who have hurt us, toward co-workers that have wronged us, toward brothers and sisters in Christ who have hurt us. Lord, I ask that you would have your full way in us right now, Holy Spirit, and cause us to be true followers of your Son who, while we were still sinners, while we were still rebels against you, you sent your Son in love to die for us. Jesus, thank you that you died for us while we were yet sinners. Help us to be true followers of you and displaying a, a heart of love and kindness in Christ Jesus, even to those who have hurt us. Lord, forgive us for where we've fallen short in that. Thank you so much that we can, as Alex said earlier, we can come to you right now because you are gentle and lowly in heart. We can find rest for our souls that have been so in turbulence as we forgive those who have wronged us, even as you have forgiven us who have wronged you. We are so grateful for your forgiveness and your steadfast love to us, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, go forth today in the rest of Jesus Christ. God bless you.